0: Uh, all right, beloved, we get back to our seats. We just want to lift up another word of prayer uh, before we get into that word. While, um, while Pastor Mardishe was praying, um, my heart was just convicted to pray again uh, for those, those people in this country who have experienced a lot of hardship the last couple of weeks. So join me in, in lifting them up. Father, I know we we believe, but help, help the areas of our unbelief this morning. Help us to believe the reality that these people will stand on the backs of our prayers, on the backs of our faith. That's what will hold them erect, whether they know it or not. For all humanity folds apart from you. Lord, I think of those kids, third graders, fourth graders, Lord, who watched their classmates expire before their very eyes. I think about those kids who had to get out of the building, who walked by that door, saw the arms and the legs of their young friends laying there lifeless. They saw blood-stained seats, desks, floors. We talk a lot in the faith about pushing back darkness, Lord. That's dark. That's evil. That's a unique kind of evil, Lord Jesus, that that happened on that day. And what's sad is that that kind of evil is so prevalent. It's it's prevalent because we've forgotten the names of the shootings that have occurred throughout this past year, never mind this past decade. Because there's been so many, it's become normative. We've become desensitized to the trauma and the evil of this world. Somebody went to the grocery store to get their grandbaby a snack and didn't come home. Somebody just went to go fill their fridge to spend the little bit of money they had to feed themselves, their nieces, and their nephews, and never came home. They pulled up to the parking lot. Somebody pulled up to the parking lot and saw bodies. Lord Jesus, don't allow your saints to be quiet anymore. Don't allow your saints to stand idly by and do or say nothing. Convict our hearts of our idleness. Convict our hearts of our callousness. We ate lunch that day like it was nothing. But Lord, you call us to grieve with those who are grieving, to uplift those who are low, to preach the gospel to the souls that are dead. To be bold about the truth in which we have, that gospel truth that we hold, that we say we believe so much in, but we hold within the confines of our lips, not to unleash on people, maybe because we need help in our unbelief. Lord, I have desires and cries for justice, and yet I know that the system in this world will never provide the justice that is needed. We know, Lord, that ultimately all men will stand before you. All women will stand before you. And they will have to give an account. But I pray, Lord Jesus, because of the gospel that is in me, that we would shrink the numbers of those who stand before you that you say you don't know. But that many come to know you. And that through our lips, through our presence, There are many who you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the rest of your master. But so long as we keep the gospel in our lips, that phrase will not be uttered. We are the means by which you have saved this world. The gospel from our mouths. Romans 10. How shall I hear without a preacher, a speaker? a man or a woman with the gospel in their mouth. And so, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit this morning? Would you help us to grieve with those who are grieving? Would you help us to be bold as lions, but gentle as doves? Would you help us to be unafraid and unashamed of the Jesus we worship? Will we say his name loud and proud? Because we owe all things to you, O Lord. And so, Father... Son, Spirit, fill us up this morning. Encourage us and lead us closer to you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Pastor Canaan. Um, we're going to continue in the book of Galatians. Go ahead and open in your copy of God's word to the book of Galatians. We've been there for about, what is it, eight months or something? We tried to count it last week. We're going to be there for another eight months, y'all. I'm just letting y'all know what's up. Galatians, we're in chapter 4. And last Sunday, we covered this one verse in Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. Can y'all hear me okay? Okay, cool. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. It says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And we didn't consider this second portion. We'll consider some of that today. But just for the sake of review, we considered first the gravity of those first three words. I beg you. What we tend to do is read over those words and we forget that those words are, are words of desperation. We beg when we don't have the power to affect the change we desperately want to see happen. That's what we do. So when I lack the ability to change something that I desperately need and want to see changed... Oftentimes we will beg, not in what we see on TV, like on my hands and knees and I'm pleading and I'm shaking. No, but I will give my all. I'm literally on my knees and I'm like, bro, I'm pleading with you. Hear me. That's begging. That's Paul pleading with the Galatians. Hear me. Please hear me. And he's pleading with them because this is a situation of life and death. You're standing before God is the most important reality that you will ever have to face in this world. For all men will have to stand before him, whether you think so, believe so, or not. Paul wants these Galatians to stand before him, to stand before the Lord God with confidence, not in their own abilities, but confidence in that the Lord Jesus has redeemed their soul. And that he will say as their judge, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul is begging them and pleading them with them through reason, through empathy, and he's going to recall their love for one another. He's begging them on account of the salvation of their souls because he knows this truth that all men will give an account. Hebrews 9.7 says that it is appointed for a man to live once and then face judgment. The rest of the scriptures all speak of the reality that one day we will stand before God and he will judge both the living and the dead. You ever thought about what you're going to say on that day? When you stand before the judge, jury, redeemer and executioner of all of humanity, of all of creation, what are you going to say when you stand before him that day? A right standing with God is what you need. Let me tell you how you don't get a right standing with God. It's not through a trite me and God are okay. That doesn't work. It may soothe you for about five minutes, but as soon as you're back in the soberness of your mind and you're thinking through the realities of all of eternity, you know that that statement holds no weight and no water. Me and God are cool. Nah, B. That doesn't hold water. Another way that you don't attain a right standing with God is through some spiritual scale by which your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's not also not how God rolls. Newsflash, your good deeds will never outweigh your bad. That's just what it is. If we could put a a, a scope, you all seen the Truman Show where they had the cameras on, homeboy, 24 hours a day. Now imagine we had that all guilty already. But then imagine we could put your thoughts on the big screen. The evils and atrocities of thoughts you had just this morning. Another way that you don't attain a right standing with God is through a dogged adherence to the law. That's what the Galatians, that's what Paul is pressing into the the hearts of the Galatians. It is not through a dogged obedience to the law that any man, woman or child will be justified before God. That's not how you get a right standing before me. By adhering to a law. Beloved, that's what we do and believe as well, oftentimes in our context. Beloved, a right standing before God is the result of a living faith in Jesus. That's how you can stand before God. If you have a living faith before Him. If you actively relinquish your false sense of control and entrust your mind, body, and soul to the person and work of Jesus... And by entrusting in him, he is able to uh, impart on you mercy. This is what the scriptures say Titus 3. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to what? His mercy. When you stand before the judge of the living and the dead, you don't stand on your own merits. You don't stand on your trite sayings in your head. None of that will please. You stand on the person and work of Jesus Christ alone because his life, death, and resurrection satisfies God's wrath. Yours does not. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified, how? By his grace... We may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's it. It is mercy and grace. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace, receiving the blessings that you don't deserve. This is how the kingdom of God operates. The false teachers in Galatia are trying to convince the Galatians of the opposite that in order to have a right standing with God, they had to adhere to God's law. And namely, they had to be circumcised before they could be considered to be truly God's people. You got to do this thing in order for God to say you Gucci. But that's not how that's not that's not the ways of the scriptures. Paul's not allowing this false truth to stand. If you look in Galatians in chapter five, we looked at this last week as well. Galatians 5, he says, take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. You see that? He's saying that once you trust in yourself, then just trust in yourself. You've already forfeited the trust in the one who's able to redeem. It's like, all right, we're going to keep going. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep what? the entire law. Oh, you want to obey this one? Beloved, Nobody told you got to obey them all. If you're going to trust in the law, you can't trust in one portion of the law. You got to trust in all the law. You're going to hold up all the law? You don't know all the law. How are you going to hold it up? You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You are fallen from grace. Paul has giving them theological truth which is part almost more than half of this book he's reasoned with them from the truth of the scriptures and now we're going to see him empathizing with them and speaking to them in terms of their history together i beg you brothers and sisters become as i am for i also have become as you are but this week we're going to look at this second oh the second portion of it oh no wait no we're not what does this, this section, what does this mean? We're gonna re- still recapping from last week. So what Paul is saying here is what my next slide was saying until I clicked it away. Here we go. He's saying to the Gentiles, he's telling them, to Gentiles and Jews, become as I am. He's saying, Gentiles, beloved, the, the Mosaic law wasn't and isn't for you. You're free from the law of Moses, beloved. You're, it wasn't for you, Exodus 19. This is for God's people. But he's also speaking to God's people. Now, that doesn't mean... As we talked about a few weeks ago, that Gentiles can't sin. Remember, we, we kind of unpacked that. Sin existed before the law. That's why death reigned from Adam to Moses. You can contradict God's character and nature prior to him ever giving you a command not to. Remember we talked about them house rules? The kids know what's up, even though you ain't got to make it explicit. Once you make it explicit, though, it's a problem if they break that mug now. But they already know what respect and love is, and they know how to, anyway. And then he's speaking to the, I want to talk about so much, Ooh. Oh, Galatians will do that to you, bro. OK, Jews, he's saying that Jesus fulfilled the law for, and redeemed those who were under the law. So if you're a Gentile, the Mosaic law didn't apply to you from Jump Street. If you're a Jew and you hold yourself to be under the law, then Jesus redeemed you from it. He's saying, be free like me. Paul's saying, I'm a Jew. I've been redeemed under the law. You, half of you, half of you Galatians are Gentiles. You remain as you are. You're free. Don't let anyone put you under the yoke of the law. It wasn't for you in that respect. Now, remember, we're going to get to a point where we talk about, well, well, what is the New Testament standards? They're there. It's called the law of Christ. 600 Old Testament Mosaic laws is over a thousand laws under the new covenant, beloved. But we're going to look at those as they come. Paul is trying to push home this reality. Don't read that yet. I'm going to read that. I pushed it by accident. Paul is trying to push home this one truth, that both Jews and Gentiles are both redeemed by the same Jesus, the same blood, the same cross, and the same resurrection. There is no favoritism with God. His son redeems all humanity. Now we can read this passage. Romans 9, it says, And what if he, that's God, did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that have been prepared beforehand for glory on us the ones he also called not only from the jews but also from the ethnos ethnos meaning what gentiles someone of a completely different nation so when someone tells you that salvation is only for the jews beloved not true the ones he also called That's God initiating the redemption of somebody who's not a Jew. Y'all see that? So much there, beloved. All right. Whom we also go both from the Jews and the Gentiles, as it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people, what? My people. Those who used to be far off, those Gentiles who didn't know me, weren't intimate with me. No, they're going to be called my people. And she who is unloved, I'm going to call her Beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. What then should we say? Or what should we say then? Check this out. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. Namely, the righteousness that comes how? By obeying the law? Is that how they got it? No, beloved, they received it by faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness, what did they get? They did what? Capital N. Not achieve the righteousness of the law. Why? Remember, if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you any. They've already chosen to trust in themselves. When you trust in yourself, You've, you've by category taken everybody else out of that station. It fits one. He has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them. These are the Jews Paul speaking about concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. That's what they're doing. And beloved, that's what we have to stay away from, trying to establish our own righteousness. When we're making wagers with God, God, I'm going to do this, so you respond like that. No, doesn't work that way. Since they were ignorant of righteousness, they, they were ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is what? The end of the law. Become as I am. Remember? Jew. Be free. Gentile, be free. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and do a lot of good works, you will be saved. That's what it says. Read it, beloved. If you verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with his heart resulting in righteousness and confesses with his mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says everyone who does good works, circumcised, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. What is that implying? If you don't believe on him, shame is at your door waiting to have you. And it will master you. Since there is no distinction, how much distinction? None between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord. Of all, richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want another cross reference for that, go ahead and read all the chapter of Ephesians 2. And thus, Paul says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am a freed man. Become as I am. For I also have become as you are Gentiles. And then he says, you have not wronged me. This is what we're picking up. Paul is basically saying, family, I got no beef with you. Because Paul's telling them something hard. They're in the middle of false teachers on one side. Paul, the one called by Jesus on another side, and they're hearing conflicting reports. And sometimes when we have hard truths to say, the, the recipient ends up not liking us for that. And so Paul, and that's literally what the text is about to say. I just said it too early. Literally, the text is about to say that. He says, I got, no, I got no smoke with y'all. I got nothing but love for y'all. I just can't understand how and why you're buying into this nonsense about being and keeping the law and being circumcised when you have Jesus and the gospel right before you. This is what he's saying. He's like, beloved, the gospel's right there. It's for you. But you keep believing this, this nonsense about having to earn something before him. I'm perplexed. Paul is saying this is why he said this in the beginning. In Galatians chapter 1, remember we did this about eight months ago. He says, I am amazed that you were so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. He's shocked, he's amazed, he's astounded. And you're turning to a different gospel, a different means of salvation that is no means of salvation. That's why he says, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are trying and troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul wants his spiritual children... To walk in spiritual light that's all paul's after i want my spiritual children to walk in spiritual light just like any good shepherd my desire for you guys as one of the shepherds of this congregation is that my children my sheep walk in light i want you to believe truth that's why we try to provide every means possible to get your eyes in the text don't follow me believe me why do you think we got seven thousand cross references believe the text Paul wants his spiritual children to walk in light, and Paul even alludes to them as his children. Look at the end of Galatians four, verse nineteen. He says, he literally says, "My children." You see that he's literally like, he's already called them all kind of names. He called them foolish a couple chapters ago, right? He's already made. And this is what we do with our kids. It's like, what do you ah? There's a passion to want them to walk in truth, and that even frustrates you. Why? Because you don't have the ability to accomplish the thing that you so desperately want. So you get frustrated, you call them foolish, you beg. Paul just doing what we do. He's like, my children, I'm again suffering labor pains until Christ is formed in you. That's a a sweet analogy that Paul is using there, labor pains. Because the birthing process is painful. Yet the most comforting process. Scripture even talks about you. This 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 reality that you're you're giving birth, you're, you're passing a child through your body, and all of that pain and anguish disappears once that baby is placed on the chest of the mother. Right? But this that doesn't discount all the pain and anguish. I know that's not everybody's testimony. Some of y'all was like, "No, that mug hurt, dog. I don't know what you're talking about." I was like, "Get that stink baby off me! These slimies, wipe them off." I know. I'm just saying in general, okay, allow the the analogy to flow, come on with me. Y'all playing with me. That was some of y'all, don't raise your hands, please. Teaching a baby, teaching a child to walk in light is extremely difficult. You all have nieces and nephews, we have little cousins, we have sons and daughters. Teaching them to walk in light is hard and oftentimes it's heartbreaking because it pains us when we see them make bad choices, when we see them believe lies. When, when, when their little hearts are crushed because they realize, you know, Christmas is not about Santa. So he's not real? Yes, baby, the world been lying to you forever. I get in trouble about that. I'm just telling you what the... I tell my kids, my kids know what's up. I hope y'all kids know what's up. They in here. It's about Jesus. It's about, the, it's about the, our Lord who redeems us. Anyway, Woo, we'll talk about that too. But the love of family and the fruit of our labor always yields blessing when we see our children obeying the very things we taught them what do we what do we have welling up within us right that healthy pride we're just like yeah right that was it it was worth it all those sleepless nights them them little spanks that y'all be giving i know right and you see them finally get it and you're like yes you get it yes and then you move on to the next thing paul's having labor pains for his children He's like, I'm pushing you. I'm prodding with you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you. I'm leading with you. I'm suffering labor pains with you, but I'm not leaving you until Christ is formed in you. He's not leaving. He's not forsaking. He's going to endure those hardships so that he can reap the reward of blessing of seeing his children walk in fruit and joy. He even says this. He says the very next verse, he says, I would like to be with you right now. And change my tone of voice. but I don't even know what to do about y'all. Because you're believing this nonsense. Go back up to the beginning of our passage, beloved, in in Galatians chapter 4. Looking at verse 13. Remember, we kind of recapped chapter 4, verse 12. Now we're moving into chapter 4, verse 13. I know I jump around a little bit, my bad. I got a little problem. He says, Paul says to the Galatians, he says, You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. Beloved, I want you all to know this. There's a lot of speculation as to what this weakness is. And there is no, uh, there's no hard, dogmatic conclusions. However, I do believe that the weakness in Paul's flesh has to do with his sight and his vision. The text itself tends to lead us in that way. What's the weakness in Paul that caused him to preach there? His vision. Look at verse 15, beloved. Where then is your blessing? He says, for I testify that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me, Paul says. That's just a few verses later. At the end of Galatians, Paul says this in in chapter six. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those of y'all who got these things on, take them off and try to write what y'all doing. Right? Because you got to see where that stuff connect. Again, there's not dogmatics there, but many scholars, and, and I'm, not, I'm no scholar, but I, I also believe that Paul was likely traveling through the, the region of Galatia, because remember, Galatia is not a city, it's an area of churches, and he's traveling through there, and we don't know what happened, but something happened that caused him to stop in that region concerning his eyesight. Whether he was alone traveling, or he needed to be the one who was guiding, I don't, I don't know. We don't know. But something caused him to stay there and remain there. And that's why he says, I first preached the gospel to you out of a weakness. It's almost like I was placed here. I I wasn't planning on stopping originally. I was going to move. I was going through. I was on my way somewhere. And now I'm here. And if I'm here, might as well go ahead and get to work, huh? That's a message for some of y'all. Who? Where does God have you? And are you too busy complaining about the situation? or Are you willing to do what God has called you to do in the situation you're in? Oh, man. The album coming out 2015, you the album coming out. His mentality is like, this is where God has me, and this is where I'm going to be faithful. And he even says that to them by saying, I only preach the gospel to you because I had this weakness of the flesh. Now, if it's not that beloved, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to be dogmatic where the text isn't dogmatic, but it seems to be his vision. It seems to be his sight that is ailing him. Look what he says. He continues in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 4. He says, you did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition, now we know it was physical. You can't spiritualize it no more, right? Because my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ himself. It was hard for them to deal with Paul's issue, but they received him. They loved him. They cared for him just like children would for their parents. And then he says to them, where then is your blessing? For I testify that if it were possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Paul's just relating. You see what he's doing? He's just saying, beloved, don't forget our interactions together. I had this problem, probably a visual issue. I had this problem, and it was even hard for you to deal with me. But you loved me. You received me. You led me by the hand to the table to eat. You, you would have torn out your eyes for me. You, you loved me so much. It was a trial for you. And he's saying, beloved, remember this, because when I tell you something hard, see, our world got us so caught up in the cancel thing. Oh, man, I'm going ahead. I want to skip ahead. We're going to get there. Hold on. Paul is simply reminding the Galatians that there was tangible emotional connection and love mutually between them. I came to you with the gospel of truth. I spent my all for you in a place where I was not planning to do. And then you received me, loved me, and served me. We have history. We love one another. You are my beloved children. And then he says this. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? That's Galatians 4.16. He leans back on all that he's done and all that we've been through together. He says, have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? This is where we, I'm going to go to, forget, I'm just going to skip to that section now. This is where we as Christians need to learn to be humble, to receive criticism, to kill our pride, and quite frankly, just need to grow up. This is where adults just need to grow up. The culture has caused us to be brittle, fragile people. As soon as someone says something I disagree with, oh, I'm all in a tizzy, and now I'm canceling you because I don't like what you said. What kind of second grade nonsense is that? Beloved, relationship is hard. Your closest friends are going to tell you stuff that's hard. You're going to have problems with them. You're going to disagree with them. You may even fight a little bit with them. Expect this reality. This is what family does. But what family does not do is cancel one another because we're speaking what we perceive to be true and helpful for them. We gotta stop the nonsense because the world is gonna lead us to continue this nonsense. But we don't follow the trials and trail the the trailways of the world. We follow the truth of the text. We don't allow our beloved people, our brothers and sisters, even in this room, who disagree on a multitude of things, to be divided over nonsense. We talk that mug out. We're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's what the scripture says. That's what we do. That's how we interact. Because oftentimes the truth that they have to say to you, there's truth in it whether or not the whole thing is true in total. Oftentimes they're seeing something, they don't know the whole story, but there's truth in it nonetheless. And our job is to receive the nugget. Maybe the whole thing is true. This is what the scripture says in, in, in uh, Proverbs 13:10. Arrogance or pride or thinking you got it together, what does it do? It leads to nothing but strife. But wisdom is gained by those who. Seek advice. Those who are quick to listen. You know, as I was thinking about this particular part of that verse in particular, I just started thinking about the reality of how much Satan loves to divide. That's one of his primary tools of weaponry is to divide, especially in the household of faith. Like, for example, we have this proclivity that when we've fallen into sin, We isolate ourselves, thus dividing from the very body who's going to pray and lift you up with their prayers of faith and love and care. That's what we do. In the Christian church, we've experienced so much division, and a lot of it was unnecessary. I'm not saying there's not a place for necessary division. What I'm saying is we've allowed unnecessary division to be all the division. We don't even know what's necessary dividing about anymore. And so now we just divide about everything. You like green? I like red. We got smoke now. It'd be that silly sometimes from outside looking in, but the culture has trained us in such a way where well, that's big for us. That's a big deal now. We're so sensitive. Everything's a big deal. I'm, I'm always offended. Beloved, what happened to giving each other the benefit of the doubt and thinking well of, of the other individual who's speaking to you first and then calling out the truth of whatever it is that they've spoken, if it be false or not true? Satan loves to see a culture of division and hostility dripping from the hearts of Christians. That's his scheme. This is what the scripture says. This is Jesus's words. He knows that if a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's large scale. And then what does he take it? He brings it right to your house. Y'all see that? Us and then you. If a house is divided against itself, cannot stand. Y'all all all know what that feel like. All y'all got smoke with auntie, uncle, somebody, cousin, somebody. It's especially dangerous for us who are Christians to move through this world with our eyes closed. If our eyes are open, we won't divide over foolishness. We'll talk them out. We'll agree and we'll disagree, but we will not divide. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight for peace. We have to put on our big boy pants and view... The, the, the word of warning for what it is. Y'all know that warning is a love word? I don't warn people I don't love. I let the back truck hit them. Right? Trucks coming. Shh. That's what we do to those whom we don't love. But when we love that individual or there's love in our hearts for that individual, we say move. We warn. We scream. We call out. This thing is going to kill you if you don't fix this, bro. Sis, it's going to kill you. You still doing that? Stop. It can be harsh. It can be tough. But it is a warning of love. Look what James says. James says, brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns them back, that person, uh, let that person know that whoever whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Beloved, it's unloving at best and downright cruel at worst to see someone in need of warning and yet remain silent. And so Paul is saying to them, beloved, am I now your enemy because I've told you the truth? I'm warning you, beloved children, because I love you. If I didn't love you, I'd let the false teachers say whatever they want about you. But I'm standing in a place where I didn't plan to be and I ain't budging because they're they're here disturbing you. They're distorting you. They're leading you astray. That's what a shepherd does. That's what Paul is doing. I'm not letting anybody turn you all astray. I'm gonna stay here as long as they here. And until they move, I ain't moving. Don't be foolish. See through the facade. They are talking the sweet nothings of nonsense to you. See through it. Now, as an aside, I was gonna, I don't know if I have time to do this or not, but I'm gonna do it anyway. We have to do it like this. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and daily, we have to do this. We have to put on compassion as we warn. We have to do it in kindness and humility, gentleness, patience. We have to bear with one another. We have to forgive one another if anyone has a grievance with another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, we have to put on love, which is the perfect bond of what? Come on, the text saying it, doc. This is how we warn. We don't come in there with the sledge. We come in there humble, contrite, bold. And at the end of it, if we don't let the world have its way, we will end this thing eating chicken together at the local wing spot, unified. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts and minds and be thankful. But instead... Instead of godly truth and godly warning, these false teachers that are in the, the, the area of Galatian are trying to woo these people. Galatians 4.17, he says, after he says, am I not your enemy for telling you the truth? He's saying, beloved, these false teachers, they're doing what? They're courting you eagerly, but not for your good. I almost had the scripture I pulled it out last second. Faithful to the wounds of a friend. He's like, I'm warning you, I'm, I'm pricking you, I'm poking you for your good because I care about you. These dudes are singing sweet nothings in your ears and it's not for your good. It's not, it's, not, it's not for your good, beloved. They court you eagerly, but not for your good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them, courting them with smooth speech and false truth, so they could pad their numbers and pad their bank accounts at your expense. Beloved, I want to tell you this. If anybody or any organization tells you that they're the only organization with the truth, run. Run fast. If they say they got the hidden truth, (laughs) hide. Run from them. If any group of organization is pushing you towards a movement rather than closer to a person, namely the person of Jesus, run. That's not the place for you. They're leading you for their own glory. They want you. To help them puff themselves up with your money and your presence and their numbers. Look at what we did rather than look at who has done for us who couldn't do. It's a starkly different message. I did leave it in here. Y'all thought I was lying. There you go, the scripture right there. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. But look at this. The kisses of the enemy are excessive. Y'all ain't reading the text, doc. Look what Paul says. Now the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. If you see these things, I'm sorry, if you point these things out, brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather do what? Train yourself in godliness. That's first Timothy. That's Paul telling Timothy. He decided in the next letter, I'm going to say it again just in a different way. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Whose desires? Theirs. That's that that's that cooking up stuff I talked about in the beginning. Me and God is cool. Now you cook that mug up. That ain't true. You just want to feel good. So what do you do? You accumulate teachers according to your own desires and you multiply them. uh, You uh, you multiply those teachers for uh, for themselves because. They have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, there will be times where I tell you things you don't want to hear. It pains me to do it, but I'm going to do it. Because I don't want to be a false teacher. I don't want to give you false truth and lead you astray, thinking that you're good because you followed me. Follow the text. It'll lead you to the Lord Jesus. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to what? Myths. That's why Paul says this in Galatians 4:17 and 18. He says, they court you eagerly, but not for your good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. Remember, he's saying, exclude you from me, so you pursue them. Remember, Paul helped start the church here. He was one of the original gospel proclaimers in this area. He's like, beloved, you saw me. We live together. I preached to you. The gospel is largely in part here because of me. They're trying to divide us, Beloved. Because I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear, but you're not going to be my enemy, even though I'm telling you the truth. I'm not going to let that happen. You're my children. He says, but it's always good to be pursued in a good manner, alluding to his own pursuit of them and not just when I am with you. Basically, Paul is saying. They want you. But not for your good, rather, so they can boast at your expense. All this talk of pursuit. Always drives me to remember the ultimate pursuit, the pursuit of all humanity. It was the pursuit of our Lord Jesus Christ as he gave himself for us. His pursuit was not inundated with falseness. It was pure. Jesus's pursuit. You know how I know it's pure? He didn't ask anything of you. He redeemed you despite everything you are. And then he sends his spirit and says, be thee transformed now. And now your act of obedience is a call in response to the grace in which you've received. Not only that, the spirit of God in you is not convicting you of sin. He transforms the soul. He doesn't say do good and I'll accept you. He says, I accepted you. and I'm going to help you do good. It's pure his pursuit of you. His pursuit included enduring a cross. Remember, we talk about crucifixion. That's where we get the word um, um, excruciating. Crucifixion. That's where we get our word excruciating. He despised the shame. Remember, he hung there naked upon the cross. He bore our sin upon the cross on his body, and and in doing so, he satisfied God's wrath. Jesus offers to exchange his righteous life for our sinful one. Jesus offers his wholeness for our brokenness, for our good and his glory. It's both. Only God can get it to have his cake and eat it too. (laughs) We can't do that mug. It's for our good and his glory. Jesus offers that salvation by faith in his name. And now you can stand before God clean because you trusted in the name of the one who redeems, whose wrath was satisfied because of the work of the cross. Jesus offers it by faith in his name. You can stand before God justified, loved, and adopted into the family of God. Here's my call to you, beloved. I want you to gaze upon the person of Jesus. That's all. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Gaze upon him. Just look to him. I can't do anything other than tell you to look at him anyway. I got the power. But he has the power to transform your heart and soul simply at the sight of him. And then entrust yourself to him. And you'll experience firsthand that amazing grace that us Christians so desperately cling to. Father, there's so much more in the text that I desire to talk through, but Lord, you've found it sufficient to go through that. I pray that you would drive men and women to gaze at you this morning. I pray that people would not leave here this morning uh, overly concerned with their own abilities, overly concerned, overly um, inundated with their own thoughts, but that their eyes will be fixed upon this Jesus who displays his love for us, that though we were yet sinners, he would die for us and thus prove his love for us. We live in a world where we have to earn love on every front. Not so with you. It is received as a parent and a child. You do nothing and I love you. And nothing you can do can make me not love you. So Lord, I pray that we would be able to receive such love by beholding the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make us different than we were when we came in. Give us no excuse, for our ears have heard the truth of the gospel. And may we believe it with all of our souls. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.